0: Good evening. It is good to see everyone here tonight. I was a little confused about the order tonight too, and so um, maybe we've gotten it mixed up, but um, I feel like I'm up here a little bit early, but I've got a long sermon anyway, so that's good. Somebody came in tonight and said, I want to thank you for the sermon this morning. It was great, and they said, I wanted to tell you that beforehand, Because I remember you saying that sometimes people will go out after the evening sermon and say, that was a great sermon this morning. And it makes uh, you think maybe that reflects on the evening sermon. But we are glad that you are here tonight. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad to have you in our midst. And we hope you'll stay around afterwards that we can meet you and greet you. Tonight, we are going to be studying from the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 25, and we're going to draw some lessons from a little-known king whose name is Amaziah. Now, before we get started tonight, I want to give you a little bit of background and some history about the book of Chronicles. The book of Chronicles, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, is a portion of Scripture that we don't study very often it's kind of a hard book because you've got a lot of so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so, and there's a lot of names that are hard to pronounce. And it seems like there's a lot of repetition in the Chronicles because you have a lot of the same things that appear in First and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. And so a person might think, why all of this repetition? I mean, you can read about King Amaziah in 2 Kings chapter 14, and then you can read about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 25. But the thing is, there are some extra facts that we learn in the Chronicles that are not in the Kings. I want you to understand why the Chronicles were written. The people of Judah, that is the southern kingdom of God's people, they've been in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And now they're starting to come back home. They're going back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And they're being led by Ezra and they're being led by Zerubbabel and they're coming back to repopulate the land and they're going to rebuild the temple and they're going to rebuild the walls. And the chronicles were written for them to say, you've got to remember your history. And so of course it's going to duplicate some things because he's reviewing their history. And so sometimes there are details that are left out, and sometimes there are details that are added, but the purpose of the Chronicles is to say to Judah, look back over your history and remember this. When the people served God, things went well, and when they transgressed the will of God, things went badly. And so you've got to be faithful to God. That's the reason you don't have all of the history. He's picking out specific points. Now, there are 19 kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. And by the way, the chronicles were written almost exclusively for Judah. Now, we're going to talk tonight about Amaziah. And I want to begin by giving you his family tree. Because oftentimes you appreciate a person better when you understand where they came from. And don't you sometimes wonder how much your family history affects you? I mean, of course, every person has a choice, but there's a certain amount of who you are simply because of your mom and daddy and your grandparents and things that get passed on to you and that you inherit. So we're going to start and we're going to do the family tree for Amaziah, and we're going to go back to King Ahab. Now, you remember King Ahab. He was a wicked king, and he takes a wife, Now, uh, for reference sake, King Ahab is in the northern kingdom. And King Ahab is going to take a wife who is a Phoenician princess. That is, she comes from a land filled with idolatry. She was probably beautiful, I don't know. But you remember her name is Jezebel. Well, Jezebel brings her false gods into the northern kingdom of Israel, and she largely succeeds in converting Israel into a completely idolatrous nation. Now, Ahab and Jezebel are going to have a daughter, and her name is Athaliah. And she's just like her mama. Athaliah is wicked. And she grows up to think, what if I could convert the southern kingdom of Judah? Now, Israel is already idolatrous in the northern kingdom, but what if I can get the southern kingdom also? And so she sets her sights on marrying the king in the southern kingdom. So you've got the daughter from the northern kingdom wanting to marry the king from the southern kingdom. His name is Jehoram, and she does that. She marries Jehoram, and she brings her idolatry into the southern kingdom. Now, Athaliah and Jehoram, they're going to have a son, and his name is Ahaziah. And so, what's going to happen is, eventually, Jehoram is going to be assassinated, and so she ends up ruling, but she does it through her son Ahaziah. Now, that's going to work for a while, as long as he's alive, but the problem is, she doesn't have the blood of David in her. She rules only by marriage. After a year, Ahaziah is killed, and so now she's in a pickle because she's going to lose her power, and the throne is going to pass on to someone who has the blood of David, and she's going to be out. And so she does the unthinkable. She kills the seed royal. She kills all the members of her family, including her grandchildren, in order to eliminate the Davidic blood, the blood of David. And that way she can stay on the throne, except there's one thing she doesn't know about. Somebody hides a baby, and his name is Joash. He's got the blood of David. He is a legitimate descendant, and so they hide him for seven years. And after seven years, they bring him out, and they make him the king. He's a seven-year-old king. It happens very rapidly, and Athaliah comes out, and she sees what's happened, and she starts screaming, treason, treason, and she lives about ten minutes after that. And they take her life pretty quickly. And so Joash is the king. He's only seven years old. I'm sure he has advisors. Eventually, he's going to grow up, and he has a son, and his name is Amaziah. And that's the man we're going to talk about tonight, King Amaziah. So we're going to begin in 2 Chronicles 25 and verse 1. The Bible says Amaziah was 25 years old. Now, this is a good lesson for all of us, but if you are in your 20s, I want you to pay special attention because Amaziah is in his 20s when the story starts. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Uh, Johadan of Jerusalem, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. I want you to pay special attention to that. He did that which was right in the eyes of God. Is that good? Of course that's good, but the text says not with a loyal heart. What does that mean? I think what that means is he technically did that which was right, but his heart wasn't in it. Does that matter to God? What if you do right, but your heart is not in it? I want you to hold that thought because we're going to come back at the end. i got to move quickly because this is a long chapter. Verse 3, Now it happened, as soon as the kingdom was established for him, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father the king. However, he did not execute their children, but he did as was written in the law of the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, the fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. Now this is how to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 16, that's where he got it. And so he starts out as 25 years old. The very first thing he does is he executes those who killed his daddy. But he doesn't kill their children. A lot of kings would have done that. They would have killed the children because they would have thought them to be a threat. But he says, no, I'm going to obey the law of Moses. And so immediately, we've got hope for this king. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to have, I'm going to do this kind of like a a movie, kind of like a play. We're going to break this into six different scenes, six points. Scene number one, I'm calling numbering the people it comes from verse 5. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together, and he set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses, throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 25 years old and above, and he found them to be 300,000 choice men, able to go to war, who could handle a spear and a shield. And so, he kills those who murdered his father, and then he numbers the army. Does that remind you of anything? First Chronicles chapter 21, you remember David numbered the people. Incidentally, why was David wrong when he numbered the people? I mean, he's the king. What would be wrong with numbering the people? And the answer is, he was putting his confidence in the number of the people, not in God. And atheists would do this sort of thing. But God told David, be faithful to me, and I will fight the battles for you. There's no need to number the people. But David goes to Joab, and he says to Joab, I want you to go and number the people from Dan in the north all the way to Beersheba. That is, number the whole kingdom. And Joab says this. I want you to listen closely. Joab says, may the Lord make his people 100 times more than they are, but my Lord the king, are they not all the Lord's servants? And they belong to him. Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be the cause of guilt in Israel? That is, Joab said to King David, You don't need to number the people. God is with the people. Don't do this. This is a mistake. But David numbers the people anyway. And you remember he suffered severe consequences. That's exactly what Amaziah is doing. Amaziah is counting on the power of the people. You remember Gideon in Judges chapter 7 and verse 2? The Lord says to Gideon, you've got too many people. You've got to pare down the people because you've got all of these people. And if you succeed in defeating the Midianites, you're going to say that you did it by your own hand. And I want people to know Jehovah God did this, not Gideon because he had a powerful army. Psalm chapter 20 and verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses... We're going to remember the name of the Lord. What's the point? God did this, not the powerful army. That's the first thing He does. He numbers the people. Scene number two, I'm calling the mercenaries. Verse 6 says, He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel, that is, from the northern kingdom, for 100 talents of silver. Now, I want you to bear in mind, God has warned Judah, don't make deals with Israel. Stay away from Israel. They're filled with idolatry. Well, Jeroboam, back in the beginning, he had corrupted Israel. He had started idol worship, and they had only gotten worse, and so the Lord says, keep your distance from Israel. Well, Amaziah is figuring that he needs 400,000 men in order to go to battle, and he only has 300,000. And so, what he does is he goes and hires 100,000 mercenaries from the northern kingdom to help him fight against the Edomites. Now, you know what a mercenary is. A mercenary is a soldier for hire. He doesn't have loyalty. He doesn't care about politics. He's just doing it for the money. Keep going. Verse 7, but a man of God, a prophet, came to Amaziah and said, O king, Do not let the army of Israel go and fight for you. The Lord is not with Israel, nor with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone. Be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. What he's saying is this. You go right ahead and do this, but God's not going to be on your side if you do it. Brethren, there is a lesson here for us. Christian, in your life... Never, ever doubt what God says about the future. Now, you could make a lot of application to this. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil companions corrupt good morals. Sometimes we think, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It's not going to happen to me. Don't doubt what God says about the future. He says, be not deceived. Evil companions corrupt good morals. So anyway, Amaziah has hired 100,000 mercenaries, and the prophet of God says, if you go ahead with this, you're gonna lose. Here's scene three. I'm calling this the 100 talents of silver and arguing with God. Verse nine, Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do about the 100 talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? You understand what he's saying here? The prophet of God just said, you can't do this. These mercenaries, you've got to unemploy them or you're gonna lose, you've gotta reverse this decision And I want you to bear in mind, this is coming straight from God. This is God who is speaking. What would you expect the king's response to be? You would think he would say, yes, Lord. But what does he say instead? He says, but what about the hundred talents? I've I've already paid them a hundred. I've already paid these guys. This is kind of like a, I want you to imagine a bride. And she's going to get married in a week and a half. The wedding is all ready, and everybody's excited, and she and her fiancé go to a restaurant, and he gets up to go to the restroom, and he leaves his cell phone there. And she picks it up, and she she thumbs through it, and she comes across some text messages from the day before, and he is having a romantic conversation with another girl, and, and it's bad. And so what happens is she comes to you, the bride-to-be comes to you, And she says to you as her friend, what should I do? What are you going to tell her? You're going to say, you got to cancel this wedding. you got to get out of this right now. This is going to be a disaster. What if she says to you, but I've already paid the caterer and it's non-refundable? What would you say to that? That's what Amaziah is saying. He's saying, but I already paid the mercenaries. What am I going to do with this? Have you ever been, men, have you ever been driving? You got your wife with you and maybe you have turned south when you should have gone north. And after a while, she says, I don't recognize anything. I think we're going the wrong direction. Imagine if a man responded and said, yeah, but we've invested so much time going in this direction. We just can't turn around now. (laughs) Sometimes it seems like that, doesn't it? How many people have been this way, maybe with reference to obeying the gospel. Maybe they're in a Bible study, and somebody comes across and teaches them, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. You teach them about the one church of the Bible, only to hear, I've been a part of this religion for so long, and I've invested so much of my life in it, I just can't turn around now. Our point is this, if God says it, it doesn't matter how much you have invested in it, You've got to listen to the Lord. Here's verse 9, continued. The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. That's interesting. He could have said this in a negative way. He could have said, The Lord's going to punish you. But what he says is, Forget about the hundred uh, talents of silver. The Lord can give you much more than that if you will obey Him. Verse 10. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim, to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. He breaks down. He says, I don't want to lose. He sends the mercenaries home, and they are mad. Now, parenthetically, he's paying them a hundred talents of silver. That's a lot of silver, but if you divide a hundred talents of silver amongst a hundred thousand men, that's not very much pay. Why are they doing this for this little amount? I thought they were mercenaries for hire. And the answer is, they're doing it for the plunder. When they go and they attack the Edomites and they fight against them, they're going to take away all of their gold and silver. But Amaziah reverses the deal. And so they're mad. They get this little bit of money, and that's the end. Here's scene number four. I'm calling this the cliff. He's going to humiliate his enemies. Verse number 11. Then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading the people, he went to the Valley of Salt, and he killed 10,000 people of Seir. Also the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, and he brought them to the top of the rock, and he cast them down from the top of the rock so that they were dashed in pieces. What happened? God said, I'm going to be with you, and he was. They have a great victory, they kill 10,000, they take another 10,000 and they take them up to the cliff and they would shove them off so that their bodies are just broken open on the rocks. Military leaders would oftentimes do this, and the purpose was to humiliate the enemy, to send fear into surrounding nations. That is, you don't want to mess with us because we'll do terrible things to you. And so he took 10,000 Edomites and he lines them up and he pushes them off the cliff. It is cruelty at a very high level. Now, we're building here. This is another piece of the puzzle. He numbered the people because he didn't trust God. He hired the mercenaries because he didn't trust God. He's doing the, the cliff thing because he doesn't trust God. Why would a nation like Israel have to resort to this sort of thing if God's fighting for them. They're going to win no matter what. But Amaziah doesn't trust God. Verse 13, But as for the soldiers of the army, which Amaziah had discharged, that is, the mercenaries, so that they would not go with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth and they killed 3,000 in them and took much spoil. That is, on their way back home... They raided Judah, and they killed 3,000 people, and they took things along the way. Why? Because they're mad. Here is scene number five. I'm calling this the idols. Now, you've got to buckle your seatbelt, because this is going to shock you. Verse 14, Now it was so, after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, and he set them up to be his gods and he bowed down before them, and he burned incense to them. What is going on here? The prophet told him, cut the mercenaries loose, and so he obeys God. He turns around, he defeats these people because God is with them. Then he brings their idols home, and he bows down and burns incense to them. I don't know what he's thinking. I think that maybe he's kind of like a puppet here. He's wanting to appease the people. Can't you imagine him saying something like this, you know what, I'm the king, and I've got to minister to a lot of people. Sure, I've got people who are monotheistic, that is, they serve Jehovah, but I've also got people who are polytheistic. They are idolatrous, and, you know, I, I've got to, to minister to everybody, and so I've got to be good with idols. you have to stretch your mind very much to imagine a leader like that? A leader who would say, you know, what kind of people are you? You know, this one God thing, that's not for educated people. That, that's uh, We're refined people. Refined people have idols. Can you imagine that sort of thing going on? Verse 15, Therefore the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah. And he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people? That is... God comes to him. This is about the funniest thing you ever read about idolatry. You see what he's saying? He says, so you went and you beat these people who served these gods, and their gods could not rescue them. And so you take their gods, and then you serve them. By implication, what he's saying is, you are stronger than these gods. Why would you serve a god who is weaker than you? Why would you do that? Verse 16, so it was, as he talked with him, That the king said to him, that is, the king speaks to this prophet, have we made you the king's counselor? He says to the prophet of God, what are you doing counseling me? Cease, why should you be killed? That is, you better hush or I'm going to kill you. The prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and not heeded my advice, God's advice. Remember the purpose of the Chronicles. They're back in Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the temple. They're rebuilding the walls. And he's telling them, remember the story, be faithful to the Lord. Here is scene number six. Amaziah wants to fight Israel. That is, he wants to fight the northern kingdom. Verse 17, Now, Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice, and he sent Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, a letter saying, come, let us face one another in battle. That is, I want to fight you. Why does he want to fight the northern kingdom? I don't know. It might be because of the the mercenaries and the attack and killing the 3,000. Maybe he's angry about that. Maybe at this point he just thinks he's a tough guy, you know, he just mopped Edom and tossed 10,000 off a cliff. So anyway, he goes to the king in the northern tribes and says, I want to fight you now. Verse 18, And Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle was in Lebanon. Now, a thistle is the lowest form of vegetation. It's a weed. The thistle sent to the, the cedar that was in Lebanon. The cedar is the largest, strongest, most powerful tree. So you've got a weed talking to a tree, and he says, give your daughter to, the, to my son as wife. This is amusing. What he's saying is, this little weed comes to a great tree and says, we're equals. That is, let's uh, have a marriage between us because we are equals. And he says, a wild beast was in Lebanon and passed by and trample the thistle. Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up to boast. Stay at home now. Why should you meddle with trouble? That you should fall, you and Judah with you, but Amaziah would not heed, and it came from God. So the king in the northern kingdom says, you're nothing. Your head's big right now because you just beat the Edomites. Stay home, or I'm going to crush you. But it says Amaziah would not because this was from God. What does that mean when it says it's from God? I don't think it means God made him do it, but this is providence. God works things out through providence. Sometimes God punishes people through his providence and the decisions that we make. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 17 says, The most high rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. Verse 20, Amaziah would not heed for it came from God that he might give them into the hands of their enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. God is going to use this to punish them. So Joash, the king of Israel, went out and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beshemesh, which belongs to Judah. And what's going to happen, to make a long story short, is Israel is going to just squash Judah. They're going to destroy them. Now, this is the closing scene, verse 26. Now, the rest of the acts of Amaziah, from first to last, indeed, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? After that time, Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, and they made a conspiracy against him in Israel. Amaziah didn't know this was going on. But when he started being high-handed and high-minded and turning away from the Lord, there was a group of people in Judah who started a conspiracy and they said, when can we kill him? We're going to kill him. After this foolish move and this battle and uh, Judah gets squashed, they say now is the time and they assassinate Amaziah and they take his life. Here's verse 28. Then they brought him on horses and they buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. That's the story of King Amaziah. Very quickly, I want to make three lessons for us. Here is lesson number one, and this goes back to verse number two. I told you we're going to come back to this. Verse number two says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. Brethren, here's the question. If we do the right thing, but our heart is not right, does that matter to God? You know, in 1 Kings chapter 21, Queen Jezebel proclaimed a feast to honor her next door neighbor, Naboth. Verse 9 says, she told the people to set Naboth on high amongst the people. That means give him a place of honor. Now, when you hear that, you say, well, that sounds good. She's honoring Naboth. She's having a feast for him. But her heart was not in honoring him. If you remember the story, in her heart, she was setting him up so she could steal his land. And she had hired some false witnesses to make false claims against him. And then she has this feast, and she compliments him. And then these people come out and say, well, he has blasphemed. He has done these things. And then they stone him to death. She did something that looked to be good, but her heart wasn't right. In 2 Samuel... Chapter 15, David's son Absalom, the king's son, would get up early in the morning and he would go to the city gate and as people would enter the city, he would meet them and he would listen to their concerns and he would hug them and he would kiss them and he would counsel them and he would say, I wish you all the best. Sounds like a good thing, but his heart wasn't right. He had evil motives. In John chapter 12, Jesus is in Bethany. And he's with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Mary took a pound of expensive ointment, perfume. It was made from pure nard, very expensive. And she anointed the feet of Jesus, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the Bible says the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. And Judas spoke up, and he said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? When you hear that, you think... Judas is concerned about the poor. Judas is a caring guy. But then when you know his heart, his motive, it changes the situation. Verse 6 says, This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And his hand was in the bag. What does that mean? He was pilfering money. Listen what the Bible says. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition for conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Look not out for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. When he says, let nothing be done through self-ambition, that is a term that means positioning yourself for advancement. Self-ambition is a person who does something that seems right, but he has the wrong motives. That is, he does kind deeds for other people because he wants to make himself look good. Or he's trying to get something from people. He might go to someone who's well off and he'll treat them kindly because he's trying to milk them of their money. Don't, let, don't do things for selfish ambition. Matthew 6 and verse 5 says, When you pray, be not as the hypocrites. They pray standing in the synagogue and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. Praying is good. But if you pray with the wrong motive, it becomes evil. Jesus said, don't do that. We could give lots of examples. You can do right, but if your heart's not right, God counts it as evil. Here's a second lesson from Amaziah. In my life, I'm going to make some bad decisions. And when I do, I've got to reverse it. Getting right with God involves reversing bad decisions. And sometimes I've gotten myself in so deep, it's hard to turn these things around. Sometimes other people are involved, and I've just got to do the best I can to fix the mess that I have made. Amaziah has started down a bad path with these mercenaries, and he didn't want to go back. He's in an awkward situation. He's going to make 100,000 mercenaries mad at him. He doesn't want to do it. But the thing is, when you start down the wrong path, you've got to turn it around no matter how difficult it is. Mark chapter 6, Herod has been watching Herodias dance, and he makes a promise. He says, I will give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. And she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. What should he have done? He should have stopped right then, but he didn't because a lot of people had heard him do this, make this vow, and it's put him in an awkward situation. He should have stopped and said, this is on me. I can't do it. I ran my mouth. I made a mess. He is a righteous man. Brethren, in life, sometimes I'm going to make decisions that are going to make a mess. Sometimes it's going to cost me money. Sometimes it's going to interrupt uh, uh, reputations and relationships but I've got to turn around and do what's right. Here's the last lesson, and it's this. When he was 25 years old, he served the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. When he is 50, when he's in his 50s, he's unfaithful. You see where it leads? If a person is serving the Lord and he's just going through the motions and his heart is not right, it's not going to take him to a good place. You've got to serve the Lord, and you've got to do right, but your heart has to be in it. Let's learn the lesson tonight from Amaziah. Thank you for your good attention this evening. It may be that we have someone here tonight who needs to respond to the Lord's invitation. Maybe you're here tonight, you want to become a Christian, you've got the opportunity to come forward, confess your faith, will baptize you in Christ for the remission of your sins. Maybe you're here as a person who is a Christian, maybe you haven't had your heart right with God, and maybe you need to repent, maybe you desire the prayers of your brethren on your behalf. Tonight, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we would be delighted to assist you. We invite you to come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.